Yeah, so I went to school to get a degree in biology. I wanted to go pre-med. And I think when I graduated, it just made sense to stay with Cutco. It's you know, what I wanted to, out of being a doctor. I, I wanted to be able to impact my community. I wanted to be able to help people. I wanted to have a six-figure income. I wanted to be a business owner. And I just wanted to be the boss and not have one, call the shots, right? So as I got into it, I, I really fell in love with the flexibility and the freedom and the people and the trips. So I committed to being here. And making that decision was just so freeing. Like when you choose a path and you commit to something, that when you really decide to commit to something, you get the results for being committed. And I've had so many great people who've been a part of that success. I really like the fact that there's people who I've changed their lives and in turn, I've had a lot of people change mine. That's the voice of Andy Noggle, one of the top district managers in the Cutco Vector Marketing Sales Organization. Andy's early aspirations centered around medical school. But with Vector, Andy found a career that fulfilled his professional desires. Over the past decade, Andy has experienced highs and lows, a critical life challenge, a territory move, and new leadership in his division. Through it all, his career has continued to evolve into a great success and an example for others. Andy has now produced over $8 million in Cutco sales, and he was recently appointed to be the assistant division manager in the high-performing Virginia division. Andy Noggle's story provides a great vision for career evolution as a vector manager. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am here today with Andy Noggle of the Virginia Beach Vector Marketing Sales Organization. Andy's been in the business since December of 2009, and he started there in Virginia, went to Roanoke College, graduated in 2010. Andy ran a branch office before becoming a district manager in 2011, and he has been responsible for over $8 million in Cutco sales. He's had a real breakthrough in the last five years to become one of the top district managers in the entire company. And he now also serves as the assistant division manager in the Virginia division, working closely with the legendary Brian Hurlman. Andy Noggle, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dan. It's great to have you here. I look forward to sharing sharing, uh, your story and lessons with our audience today. Take us back to 2009 and tell us how you got started with Cutco. Yeah, so my senior year 
over Thanksgiving break, I got recommended to the job by actually a friend of mine in art class of all places. I got a little business card, had a snowman on it, said student work. Turns out she was a branch manager from Chattanooga, Tennessee, so Dave Powder's division, and I uh, was just recruiting for winter break. You know, senior year, I was looking for some experience as a broke college kid. I was pretty involved in school. I uh, ran track full time, was in a fraternity, I was an RA, bio major, bio lab. So I uh, didn't have a lot of time to work, but Lizzie told me I could work for like a week or so and make some money, get some experience and checked it out. 6K fast start, had a pretty good start. Promised the manager I'd be back for the summer after, uh, after doing well. So that summer came back and had the typical rep experience for the summer, assistant manager. I think what's unique to me getting started was uh, specifically management when we were in assistant manager training, cut through college, leadership academy. My manager ended up going back to school, shut down. I had uh, the ability to, I guess, train with a couple of different managers. James Crittenden. Remember James? Yeah, of course. Richmond. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool. Excellent. So you are a uh, product of the January program with yeah. the company? Yes, sir. And you worked just very briefly during that break, but 6K fast start, that's pretty cool. And then came back in the summer. Uh, I like that you were doing a lot of things, right? The full-time track, you're an RA, you're in a fraternity, you're a bio major. It seems like you had a busy, busy schedule and uh, being able to have a job like this sort of catered perfectly to, to mm-hmm. someone like you. Yes, sir. Yeah. Tell us about that first summer working as a rep in an AM and what, uh, what experiences stand out to you? Mm. First homemaker set, that was, that was pretty memorable. <laughs> I always tell this in training. My first appointment ever was my best friend's mom, Mrs. Lofgren. And I remember doing the appointment with her. I was super nervous, forgot everything I was supposed to do, just started reading the manual. And I remember the first probably 10, 15 minutes of the script, I had the blue book upside down. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I was flipping from the back to the front. She was just super sweet. She didn't say anything, but I sold my first homemaker on that one. You know, it was pretty, pretty normal, you know, 3K first weekend, 6K fast start. I mean, had a pretty decent, I wish I had done more appointments. Typical, typical new rep answer, right? Yeah, exactly. It just shows uh, how easy it is to sell Cutco, right? If you could be flipping the blue book upside down. <laughs> yeah. People still, love People still love the stuff. So something, yep. some things never change. Yes, uh, sir. What do you feel like are the lessons that you gained, you know, early on in your vector career that have really stuck with you? The ones that you still apply to this day. Mm. So, I would say the majority of what I learned was, I mean, other than the typical sales stuff and marketing, I learned a lot from Rich Plaskin, my my division manager. You know, mostly like if if you ask Brian Herman, like. I guess we'll get into it later. What what he appreciates about me and 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 what I contribute to the division. It's probably what I learned from Rich with finances, with being buttoned up, with running a schedule, professionalism. So I guess specific lessons. If you ever heard this from Rich, but he always used to say crank and bank. Of course, you ever heard him say that? Yep. Of course. So, <laughs> yeah, he had all these these uh, little idiosyncrasies that, that we would we would mimic, like. Um, as a, as a division, but they're super funny and they're super memorable. Like, uh, don't be a squirrel, right? Rich would do this thing where he would stand up in front of everybody during the fog. Don't want to squirrel away your profits. And 
you know, gather up all your nuts in the summer and then do nothing in the fall and spring and, and hibernate. He, uh, he taught me to, <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. He taught me to invest early and often. I remember finishing my branch summer and <laughs> he took me out to dinner for our cat for the fall. And I was like, Rich, we got to talk about money, dude. And I'm sure Rich was like, oh gosh, he spent all his money. He's got 20 grand in credit card debt. He's picturing all the bad things. But I told him I had, I had 17 grand. I'd paid taxes. I had, I had profit. I didn't know what to do with it. And so that was, that was a good conversation. We, we talked about funding my Roth. That was the first time I'd ever learned about Roth IRA, traditional IRA. And uh, I, I think the company has gotten to the point where, where now we're educating everybody on it with rising stock. But Early on, 2011, there was no education other than your division manager and if they talked about it. So finances were big. I guess second part of my career, if you will, you know, transitioning from Rich Plaskin to Brian Herlman, I've learned through that process that relationships are big, building relationships, being the one that reaches out. I think that was one of the reasons why I was chosen for ADVM is, is being able to foster those relationships. I remember learning from Trent Booth, uh, the random call of awesome and being the person that, and I guess it's a PDI skill for, uh, for managers with coaching calls, but taking the initiative with people, people get busy. So being the person always reaches out uh, with Brian, just being full of life and, and being yourself and how you can run a high powered district and be professional like Rich, but at the same time, you can do it loose and, and, and raw like, like a Brian Roman. I think both work and being the combo of the two is the, the dangerous combination. People, yeah. people really, really like when you're real with them. So both were phenomenal leaders. I learned a ton from them. Yeah. I, I do think both are great at adapting the sort of innate personality they have to be able mm. to relate well to others. So like rich is more buttoned up, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, he found ways of being open and being authentic that, mm-hmm. that helped him relate to people that are more extroverted or more open. And Brian, I mean, he's off the charts, right? Extrovert, <laughs> like, you know, yes. but he's found ways of bringing professionalism and bringing the leadership qualities, I guess you could say, to the table that inspire people, right? He's found ways of yeah. connecting with anyone as well. So they're both, while different types of leaders, they've learned how to connect well with anyone that either has the same personality as them or has a completely different personality than they mm-hmm. do. So it's pretty cool that you've been exposed to those two different styles of leadership you know, throughout yeah. your career. Absolutely. Yeah, that's neat. So you ran a branch, you graduated from college, what made you decide to be a district manager? Um, I think it's my path through college. Like I, I went to school to get a degree in biology. I wanted to go pre-med. School and social life had, had other plans. Uh, I didn't have med school grades. And track took up the major- majority of my time. So I think when I graduated, it was just it, it made sense. You know, I was going to sell Cutco while going through TLA. And I would look for the big boy job, you know, use my degree. But as I got into it, I just, I kept falling in love with the flexibility and the freedom and the people and the trips. And yeah, I think the, the turning point when I decided, all right, cool, I'm going to focus on this instead of searching for something else was it's like October or November. I 
we were in a push. I think it was the fall classic. And, um, I sold my first ultimate set. I got recommended to a couple that they bought a uh, signature and some flatwares branching Michelle meanly. I still remember the clients. And I remember driving home from that appointment. It was in Williamsburg. It was like an hour drive. And I was just, I was like, why would I ever leave? Like, this is super cool. So for reasons being a district manager, I mean, it's, it's what I wanted out of being a doctor. I wanted to be able to impact my community. I wanted to be able to have a six-figure income. I wanted to be a business owner. I wanted to be the boss, not have a boss. And I think uh, it was also my... I really wanted to get back to Roanoke. I was living in Newport News at the time. And I think that was a big draw to it. Like Roanoke was an open territory. It's where I went to school. So that was the easiest, quickest, best option for me at the time. Yeah, that's great. I really encourage anybody that's listening that is you know, either thinking about being a district manager or maybe is a relatively new district manager to to have a mindset of commitment for a certain period of time. Maybe that period of time might be one year, maybe it might be three years, but it shouldn't be thinking about leaving every day. And it shouldn't be, it doesn't have to be five years. And after, as you get older in the business, it doesn't even have to be three-year cycles. It could be, you know, every one year, I'm going to reevaluate and think about where am I at, right? But if you're seeking something different while you're in vector, I don't think you're going to bring the best to vector. If you bring the best to vector in a committed fashion, while having the mindset that, you know what, if something else reveals itself to me, that will be a different path, maybe I'll do that. That's okay. I think, you know, everybody should have their antenna up in case something else comes along, but be committed while you're here and bring Mm -hmm. the best you can. And that's what I think helps people to do well. And then most people will find, like you said, that they get a lot of the things they wanted from a career right here out of being a district manager. Yeah. And making a decision is just so freeing when you commit to something and you, you choose that path. I, I, was, I was definitely torn between the two. Like, what am I going to do? I just graduated. There's pressure from my parents. There's pressure from Rich, obviously, in TLA. That, but when you decide, it's just so freeing. It's like, all right, cool. This is what I'm going to do. I'm committed to it. And you get the results for for being committed. Yeah. You know, a lot of people feel like commitment is the opposite of freeing, but it's exactly what you just said. It's like a 99% commitment is not, it's, it, it, it is, it could be troublesome, but when you're hundred percent, it is so freeing. So mm-hmm. it's cool that, uh, that uh, you made that commitment and have made this business something great. Um, mm-hmm. Andy, I'd love to hear about a, a challenging time in your career and adversity that you overcame and, and how you got past it? Sure. <laughs> you know, it's interesting when I was thinking on times in my career where, where I've had challenges up until my first, you know, my second full year being a DM, I, I really hadn't had any challenges with Cutco. Fast Start was easy. First Summer was easy. Selling Cutco was easy. Branch was easy. First full year was easy. Second full year, I had I had some adversity. We had some staffing issues. I burnt through my savings with I just I, I kept two receptions that I should have fired because I felt guilty about firing them. You know that was a big lesson that I learned early on. Then, probably two years later, I want to say that was 2014 or 15. I got into a car crash on the way back from SC1 with three reps in the car. Uh, we got rear-ended by a tractor trailer. We were coming up on stop traffic and he wasn't paying attention and just nailed us from behind. I looked up, tweaked my neck, a little bit of whiplash. And 
that went untreated, that turned into rhinitis, that turned into sinus headaches, which turned into uh, chronic migraines. Uh, actually, I had migraines six, seven days a week. I was running interviews, running trainings where, you know, they're all in person where I just felt awful, super nauseous, dizzy. The migraines where you can't see out of one of your eyes. Like, wow. it's pretty, pretty hard to run a business like that. And I was stubborn. I was self medicating with Excedrin and sinus stuff and work, but it was just kind of miserable. And luckily, my, my wife, we got married a, a, about a year, year and a half later after that. And when we moved to Virginia Beach, she finally made me go see a doctor. <laughs> I saw a neurologist, got treated, figured it out, knocked the migraines down like two to three times a week. And long story short, 2020, I made a decision to stop drinking. And I think that was a pretty big component to the migraines. And my 30s have been no surprise. My business has gone way up. We've done well. I've had the best years of in my career with Cutco and I feel the healthiest. I feel the strongest that I've felt since, you know, since I was in college, you know? So it's, uh, it's interesting how something like that can give you a little wake up call. Yeah. It sounds like this issue with the migraines, like this carried on for you for multiple oh, it was, years. It was years. Yeah, it was years. It was not fun. Wow. So little things would trigger it. Alcohol is one of the triggers. I think certain types of foods, sleeping wrong, moving wrong, yeah. <laughs> getting old. Right. <laughs> yes. But you found you found an answer at least to mitigating that when you when you stopped drinking and that that's had a huge impact on your life since then. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all but gone. I get one one a month now. So yeah. big difference. Yeah. Wow. Uh I can't imagine dealing with something like that multiple times per week. Like I've had a migraine now and then, but I might yeah. I might get one like once a year or once every two years. And yeah. Uh, I know how it feels. You just, you, you want to like get in your bed and turn off all the lights and not, yeah. hear, not hear any sound and just, you know, go to sleep. Right. Can't do that when you're self-employed. Right. Exactly. So. Wow. So that challenge clouded, you know, several of your sort of middle years as a district manager. It did. Yep. Yeah. So you came out the other side of that, obviously you had a chance to move from Roanoke to Virginia beach, right? Mm -hmm. 2017. And then you really have made a quantum leap in mm -hmm. the last five years. 2018, you had a really good year. 2019 was a great year, just about a million dollars in sales. And then you've taken it up over a million since that time. What do you feel like contributed to your, your breakout that happened in 2018, 2019? Yeah, so I think a big help was Scott pushed me to get coaching, business coaching. and. I'd always been opposed to it. I'm like, you know, my marriage is good. I feel good. I'm a healthy person. I'm not, you know, mentally torn up. I'm not depressed. Like I, that was my view of coaching. I didn't feel like I needed it. And Scott said, yeah, you should really, you should really try it. So I heard Mike Lanzetta speak in Olean and I connected with him and we started coaching and, and probably by our eighth call, ninth call, we had this, this, breakout conversation. I was in my uh, apartment in on Shore Drive by the beach in Virginia Beach. And um, we were getting pipes worked on. And my, Mike made me... The, the whole gist of the call was basically viewing myself differently. And Mike had me picture a circle on the floor and go step in that circle. And there 
there was this like chanting, talking, like I had to say, we named who the Andy that I wanted to be, we named him Achiever Andy. And I had to yell, I am Achiever Andy. While these guys were working on the pipes in my, uh, in my apartment, the other room, they probably freaked out. So, but it was like, Mike caught me saying things where I would always blame it on how I used to show up, what I used to say, how I used to be. And I would say, Oh, well, you know, that's not how I do things. And I would just, I'd make excuses. And so that was big. And I, I just started showing up like the Andy that I wanted to show up as. And uh, it helped me achieve alignment, live my best life, uh, stay on track, not get distracted. I mean, there's, there's a variety of things that we uncovered in that call, but it was really good. So, And did you continue coaching with Mike for a while after that? I did. Yeah, it was Mike. And then I started coaching with Andrew Biggs. Um, give him a shout out because uh, we started talking about business systems and I was partnering with him and Mike Abramowitz on, on how to not just scale my business, but departmentalize my business and automate certain things in my business. And I think that's the reason why in, in 2020, we had a, a massive year. We did 1.2 or 3. We broke and set the April national new biz record. We broke and set the September uh, other new biz or total biz record. Just learning how to systemize, learning how to develop things that I hadn't done in my career before. Mm. What were a couple examples of how you systemized the business during those those years? Just getting down a path for development. That was always an Achilles heel of mine. And, and, and Mike helped me a lot with that. And that led to hiring and training and developing a Dom, uh, Alex Sylvester, who now is a district manager, who's number two new DM last year. And then developing another one to replace him, Turner Demers, who's been phenomenal. He just got promoted as a DM letting people run my organization with me, not necessarily for me, but I basically ran a branch all five, six years that I was in Roanoke. I wouldn't let people do anything. I wouldn't like I needed to be in charge. I needed to take control. So having systems in place that that let me feel like I could develop and let me feel like I could delegate and work through people really helped accelerate my career. Yeah. So there was a focus on assistant manager staff development. Yeah. Um, systems for delegation, what to mm-hmm. delegate, schedules, etc. All of that kind of came together for you to be able to create the staffing that enabled you to kind of scale your business. Yep. Yeah, that's powerful. That's obviously one of the most important things for anybody running a new business to be able to do, whether you're a vector district manager or you're running a business somewhere else. It's so important to be able to find people that you can delegate the key tasks to so that more things can happen and so that you can focus yep. your energy on the most important tasks that move the needle the most. And that's yep. where I think a business hits this tipping point where it goes from being something that's good and profitable to being something that's great and really is a, you know sustaining for the long term. Big time. Yeah, that's cool. Well, what do you feel like has helped you have this ongoing success? The last four or five years have been great. I'm sure that this element of staffing and Delegation has been just one piece, uh, but what else is there that has helped you become one of the top district managers in the company? So with delegation and learning these systems, that's really helped me be engaged. I'm a pretty big innovator, so I like changing programs and developing programs. And So being able to develop something new midway through three, four, five, six years in 
was a key to keeping it fresh for me. Uh, I also think sustains the success being, being myself. I think Brian really let the division do that and, and specifically let me do that. I got to be more authentic. I think another key to success is focusing on building long-term wealth. Cash is definitely confidence. That's helped. And developing and partnering with the right people has helped. Uh, one of the things that, that has really helped define the last couple of years was uh, a CGC that I, I worked with and, and helped develop. Uh, Russ Wimbro is doing $600,000 a year now. Two right-hand people. Uh, I also think developing and working with and partnering with the right people. Also, my wife, who, she's super supportive and you know, we've got a really happy marriage. So that's a big component to it. Hmm. Okay. Tell me a little bit more about the partnering with some of the right people. Like you talked about uh, working with Russ, and I'm sure Russ, he creates a lot of CPO for you. Does he impact reps in the organization as well? And how does he help develop uh, others? And Or who else do you have that helps you with the, that whole process of developing your team? Yeah, so the virtual model that we have now allows for a lot of unique things to happen. Russ doesn't really impact the reps too much. Like he'll stop in on training occasionally, but um, he's super busy. But partnering with my two district managers, we run training together. Mm-hmm. We also have the ability to do hub interviews now, which is super cool. So it's it's like having... <laughs> I was sad that Turner got promoted because he was my best recruiter. He was so good. He would get like this 80% show to training some weeks. Uh, the majority of the time, it was like 60, 65. He's definitely a better recruiter than I am. And so now he's able to still run a hub, hub interview for me and Alex and Turner at the same time. And then we just run post interviews, but things like that. You know, we run sections of training that we're best at. I'm able to help facilitate them and their business by being the, I guess, the go between them and, and Brian. They can put me in three way text. I can get one on one time with their reps. I can take coaching calls with their reps, PCs with their reps. So partnering. Yeah, that's cool. So this is within the Virginia division, you and two of the district managers that grew out of your organization partner a lot on the hub interviews, on trainings, uh, just to sort of help each other make sure that your your recruiting is continuing to be positive all, mm-hmm. all throughout the year. Yep, absolutely. And that's great. You, you referenced earlier that Rich taught you don't be a squirrel, right? And um, one of the things I've noticed about your business is that you're very consistent all year round. So you have very good fall campaigns. You have very good spring campaigns. You talked about breaking records during those times. You don't necessarily have some huge spike in the summer, but you obviously have very good summers as well. You've developed a year round consistent business, which is something I know as a division manager, I always wanted to help my people do. As a region manager, I love to see right? Those managers that are consistent year round. What do you feel like are some of the keys to that level of consistency? Some keys. So I think for me, understanding that the fall and the spring are more profitable, like we have less expenses. We don't have any big events. The reps, there's big recruiting in the fall and spring. There's a lot of contests, campaign bonuses, easier to hit. Uh, Monthly bonuses, way easier to hit. And it's interesting. Last fall and spring, I traveled more than 
I think I've ever traveled. I had some golf trips. We went on multiple vacations. We took our five-year anniversary to Boston. We did you know, all the Cutco trips and, and my business kept functioning. When we broke the April record, uh, 2020, when the pandemic hit, we, <laughs> we were wrapping up. At the end of the month, we were all in Paris and we were having a 40K new business week in March. So a big part of that is, is, I mean, Alex did a phenomenal job, but just, I think in the fall and spring, it's about being resourceful. I think it's about focusing on recruiting, getting the right PRs. Like two weeks ago, we just had a, a campus recruit do a 10K fast art. Basketball student, ODU, Joy Campbell. She's phenomenal, by the way. And she's from California. So I could probably have give us some PRs out there. She's uh, <laughs> SoCal, you know, whoever, uh, whoever's office that is, but. So creative, resourceful, SMRA focus. Uh, I just think pulling all of the levers uh, at the same time is, is big. Yeah. And how do you manage those levers on a weekly basis outside of the summer? So let me back up really quick and just say, I've got a lot of managers that have the m- mindset that, look, I'm willing to work really hard in the summer because it's the easiest time in Vector to get build something big. And I'll bust my butt for, you know, 12 or 15 hour days for two or three months in the summer to get things going. But the flip side of that is then I don't want to do that all year round. And some of them allow the ball to drop in the fall and in the spring. And I've always told people that it's not that hard to keep momentum. It just takes a little bit of the effort in the right spots and that all that summer momentum you build up can just keep going, right? Mm-hmm. But what does your weekly schedule look like? What does your strategy look like to just keep that momentum going without having to put in a huge amount of effort throughout the fall and the spring? Mm. I don't think there's much of a change in the interview schedule or maybe even the training or the advanced training, but just on a weekly basis, having the right focus of partnering with the right two or three reps, getting the right PRs in the door. You know, on the weekend, making sure that the campus got hit Thursday, Friday. So we have campus touches Saturday, Sunday that we can set up for Monday, Tuesday. And it's just a, a focus on getting a couple really good hours a day in the schedule. And we talked about staffing, having a couple people to also pull those levers for you and with you. And having a, a Dom that sets up 10 PRs a week, having I've got a girl, Erin Petty, that I've been working with for three years. She's one of my top receptionist and she just she sets PRs on a weekly basis. And so it's not it's not necessarily effort from me fall and fall and spring. Like I <laughs> my weekly schedule is pretty awesome. I golf a lot. So uh, and then I'll run training at the end of the the week and my interviews are covered and we just got it's basically a summer business like what you would see in April, May, but just all year round. It's not SC2 style all year round. It's not June setting PR style all year round, but it's just a normal, I think, consistent year round business, year round schedule. Yeah. So you're managing the staff largely in the early part of the week. You're running training in the latter part of the week. Do you have a weekly staff meeting with your assistant manager team? That's been a weakness of mine, actually. I haven't. My last two doms, I would just get a lot of time with them during the week and I wouldn't have to. Right. So it's time spent. It's just not in a formal meeting, right. but there's time spent with your key assistants in the office. Right. Yep. Yeah. And you referenced campus being a focus on Thursdays and Fridays and that you just had this 10K fast starter. What do you guys do on campuses? 
Oh, everything we can. These days, I guess. What do you do? Yeah, everything we can. The community colleges are dead. They don't have anybody on them. So ODU is our main focal point and Virginia Wesleyan. And so we'll just go get carding done. We'll do some whiteboards. We'll, you know, whatever we can. If we can get the, the campus to send out like, um, you know, an email to uh, through the career center or just everything chalking on, on the sidewalks, OCPs. So a lot of the pre-pandemic ways of recruiting on campus have returned in oh, your yeah. area. Virginia's aggressive. You see that every December for the winter break program, we are aggressive on campus. Yeah. It seems like uh, a lot of just the mindset that Brian brings to the table about aggressiveness mm-hmm. um, certainly has, uh, has set in for you and for others out there. Yep. Let's talk about working with Brian a little bit because uh, you, you know, you've been the ADVM now for the past uh, seven, eight months or so. And yeah. Brian has said that uh, you are the yin to his yang. <laughs> I love that description. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, Andy. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting because I watched Brian grow up in the business when he was the you know the big thing in the Carolina division and the rowdy one. I remember Rich used to tell us at conferences he would pull us all aside and say, "All right, you need to be on your best behavior. We don't want you behaving like the Carolina division. That rowdy Brian Hurlman always gets in trouble." And <laughs> um, you know, secretly we were all jealous of Carolina because they had fun um, and they were the ones getting in trouble. And I'm, I'm sure Scott had a couple conversations with a few of their DMs. But when Brian got promoted, it was professional Brian, buttoned up Brian. And he he has been bringing his A-game. It's been it's been pretty incredible to see. And I remember Brian telling us, hey, we're going to be a rowdy division. And he brought some of that culture. And it's fun. It's definitely fun. The kids are able to really be themselves. And uh, it attracts the the right people, the ones that ship, that sell the most, and kids that want experience and advancement and the right branches and DM people with grit. So he's been, he's been a blast. Yeah. And how do you guys complement each other? Mm. So programs for me, talking with the DMs about finances, I think I, I balance out. Brian wants to do everything for everybody. He's definitely a yes man. If you ask him to do something for you, he's all about it. And I'm able to take some of those things off his plate. So that way people don't feel like he said yes, but he hasn't done it yet. So one-on-one calls has been big for the division, just being the the behind the scenes with everybody, getting the pulse of the division and reporting that back to Brian. I think that's been valuable. I love that you're able to know that you have strengths that maybe Brian doesn't have. He's got obviously a lot of strengths, but you have some that maybe he doesn't have. And those are things that you can take off his plate as managers have needs, right? Obviously, you've referenced that you're really good at your, you know, the financial side of the business. And you learned a lot of that from Rich, who was awesome at that. And so if a manager wants to dig into, hey, let's talk about my profit for this past campaign and where I might be able to improve, you're somebody that can just say, Brian, let, let me take this and dig into that with that person. And that yeah. that really helps him to do his job better, that he has an expert in different areas of the business that can be the go-to for a lot of the managers or other people who are coming up in the organization. I used yep. to always have in my division, different people who were the, the authority in different areas, right? So we had like our interview authority who was the best recruiter. And whenever there were questions about the interview during a TLA, we would just turn and like the interview authority would answer 
those questions, right? We always had the training authority. And I was, maybe I was one of those training authorities, but there were a couple in the division that we would discuss training on, right? And then I had my strengths, but there was different people that brought different strengths that could influence everybody else in the division. And when that exists in an organization, that can be very, very powerful for sure. So Mm -hmm. I like that. That's pretty cool. And then you're more program driven, uh, you mentioned, right? Whereas Brian, I think is a lot of, of how others view Brian, and it may or may not be true, but we view Brian, a lot of it is personality driven, that he's just this dynamic and powerful individual that can just will his way to victory and can influence people through his charisma, right? Yeah. Whereas you're a lot more program driven and showing people like, here's the nuts and bolts of how to do something. And mm-hmm. I think when, when a, an up and coming person in the business gets both of those things, that's the ultimate most powerful way of developing people. Yeah. So I love that you guys have that balance, the yin and the yang, as Brian called it. Yep. Pretty cool. Brian said, I should ask you about your dad, Andy. He says you have a very cool dad that has, has taught you a lot and uh, has a lot of wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Both my parents are amazing. They raised me right. I had, I guess it was Easter or Christmas or it was one of the holidays. I invited Brian and Alexandra to come to church with my, my family. It must've been, must've been Christmas. I don't know, but he got to hear my dad speak. My dad's a minister and is phenomenal at public speaking. He's one of the, one of the smartest people that I know, just definitely super talented there. So I guess Brian was enamored by how, how good he is at public speaking, how well-read he is, uh, how smart he is, you know, how down-to-earth he is. So, Yeah, that's pretty cool. Nice. Give me a lesson from your dad that stands out to you, or even from your mom. Mm. I think both of them are really good at giving back. And that's something that I learned. They're very good with relationships. I also think both of them are really good at you know, my mom is a good public speaker too, but and she just doesn't have a, uh, I guess, a podium for it. She does like Sunday school and whatnot, but the people skills, uh, it's probably why I did so well with Cutco. You know, being the PK growing up in the church, I had to get introduced to all these people. I was constantly at people's houses. Everyone knew who I was, you know? So I learned a lot from my parents. Yeah, that's cool. Awesome. Well, hey, Andy, as we wind this down, are there any other... Uh, words of advice that you feel like you'd like to have for the Cutco Vector team? Yeah, I do. Actually, you know, I was thinking about this. One of the things that I guess I've gotten complimented on this by some of the DMs in the division, Zach Miller, Alex Sylvester, Turner, Demers, was my ability to maintain my composure when the sales report is up and when the sales report is down. You know, I don't wear my emotions on my sleeve. And I don't let the sales report dictate how I feel about myself. At the same time, I, I care very much about how it is. I, I micromanage my paychecks. And I, you know, I, I, I micromanage the sales report and the reps. But it's not like I feel bad if we have a, a small new business sales week or I don't get complacent if things are going really, really well and we're getting top results. So I would say managing emotions around that aspect of the business is something to learn for, for new managers because it can be really taxing. Business has a little bit of ups and downs. We're self-employed. We're in sales. And there's certain times of the year where it naturally goes down, like around holidays, Christmas, for example. 
So probably a lesson around that is, is not viewing the team as a paycheck, viewing them as individuals and, and focusing on people gives you sustained success. Great insights for sure. Well, as you look into your future, Andy, how do you aspire to change people's lives through what you're doing? I was thinking about this too. Brian has this grand mission of, uh, he calls it his North Star, of wanting to impact a million people through Cutco and Vector. And I, I'd always struggled at personal event or personal growth conferences and seminars where it's like, what's my mission? What's my team's purpose? And I, I never really had one. I always struggled to come up with one, but I just try to impact people in groups. I, I think that there's the large majority that we impact that go through interviews and trainings and they learn about Cutco and they, they get some skills and then they go their, their, their own way into whatever their major is or whatever they choose to do. But I really like the fact that there's a select few that I'm able to change their lives. And in turn, I mean, they, they really change mine. I'm, I've met some great people through Cutco that I stay in touch with and I've stayed in touch with the entire time that I've been with Cutco. Uh, Tyler Roberts comes to mind, 2012, trained him. Now I went to his baby shower. We, we catch a call every couple months. He's out in Texas now. Brett Noel, I just talked to him yesterday. He's one of my best friends. We grew up in the business. He was an assistant manager in another office. We branched together. We DM'd together. He was a groomsman at a wedding. One of my best friends. Chris Henderson, we talk all the time. I, Worked with him. He's a DM. Dave Stewart. I'm on golf trips with him all the time. He's a CSP in in Virginia. Uh, he's in my office actually. And remember when I was new, taking him out for him and Sam Mickle out for drinks at four nineteen when I didn't have any money. I had no <laughs> no business buying anyone drinks. I should have pumped that money into my business. But we hang out all the time. He's turning fifty this year, which is cool. So happy early birthday to Dave. Brian's been a great mentor. Rich and I grab calls all the time. My new development class, Alex and Turner, they're like little brothers to me. You know, the the list goes on. You've got a CSP out west, Jake Zimmerman. I don't know that I mentioned him. He was a groomsman at my wedding. Jake's awesome. Jay Z. Yeah, really good friends. So I look forward to the people that I haven't met yet and the people that I get to impact through through what we do. Yeah, it, it was great to see you light up just now in talking about some of these people that have meant so much to you. And you said something along the lines of, you know, I, while I strive to change their lives, they've changed mine. Yeah. I, I just think that there's so many individuals that come into our organization. And like you said, if we look at our team as a paycheck, if we look at our team as a vehicle to get what we want, it's a different focus. It's a different paradigm that I don't think works nearly as well as looking at each individual that comes into the organization and thinking about how can I build a relationship with this person? How can I help them get what they want? And how can I impact them powerfully? And that as we do that, we get so much more of what we want in return. Yeah. And there's, there's one more that, you know, some people, they come full circle. They come back to Cutco. Russ Wimber, I mentioned him a little bit earlier, but I recruited him back in 2017 and he had sold Cutco in 2001 with Dave Powders in the Virginia Beach office. And he's been a, a massive key to, to my office's success. And he's, I know I've changed his life. I mean, the guy's making $300,000 a year selling Cutco now, but he's been a really great friend. And we, we talk, <laughs> we talk like five to six times a day. I, my, my wife jokes, I talk with him more than I talk with her. So, <laughs> you know, but relationships like that is just so cool. 
Yeah, exactly. It's why we do what we do, Andy. And it's clear that mm-hmm. you've had a lot of great impact on a lot of people. It's awesome to see you having such great success and uh, impacting the Virginia division now, as well as your own team and building a great life as well, personally. So congratulations to you for all your achievements. And uh, thanks so much for being part of the podcast here today, man. Thanks, Dan. All right. That was Andy Noggle. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Andy a little bit through this episode today. Really cool to hear how Andy had these two differing influences that were big influences on his career with Rich Plaskin and Brian Hurlman, and they brought different things to the table. I would encourage each of you to think about the influences that you have in your life and how can you get that similar balance of perspectives. Oftentimes, I'll have people say something along the lines of like, I don't really resonate with my manager for whatever reason. And I always tell them, hey, look at the strengths your manager has and what are the things you can gain from them? Because if you're focused on the strengths and what you can gain, you will learn a lot from anybody in this vector business. In the same time, it's okay for you to develop relationships outside of your immediate circle that can help you gain other strengths from other people. Andy was able to have that naturally by having two great division managers who are very different types of leaders. Andy mentioned how commitment was freeing for him. Being fully engaged and committed to what you're doing can free you up to bring the best out of you. And he also made a quantum leap through gaining some outside coaching and how that was influential. Mike Lonzetta, Andrew Biggs, Mike Bromowitz have been key influences in Andy's career as well. And that's pretty powerful. He has developed staff and partners in order to be able to scale his business and have the most powerful impact and be able to have also a suitable schedule in his life that meets his needs. And I think that was a pretty good insight that he shared there as well that you might take in. And then last is there were a lot of people mentioned that have had impact on Andy's career. Rich Plaskin has been featured in episode number 29. Brian Hurlman has been featured in episodes 65 and 167. Mike Lonzetta has been featured in episodes 106 and 242. And Andrew Biggs was featured in episode 102. All of these have great ideas that you can gain that have helped people like Andy Noggle to succeed. And I invite you to take advantage of listening to those as well. And you can gain some of the same ideas and concepts that Andy got directly from working with those great people. Thanks, Andy Noggle, for sharing your story, your insights today. Again, congratulations on the great success you have achieved. And I hope that all of you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. 
We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.